Will and Christian in the morning. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Will and Christian in the morning. This one, I think, is our twenty-eighth uh, episode, so we've we've made it through quite a few. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really nice day out. Uh, I don't know. How's your week been, Christian? Yes, that is correct. I am Christian, and I believe. And I'm Will. Well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make sure everybody knows who we are. Uh, Yes, uh, I've been having a nice day. It is a beautiful day outside today. Um, yeah, I haven't really done too much today, but uh, I guess my week has been fine. Can't really remember anything significant happening. Um, yep. How about you? How has your week been, Will? Um, it's been fine. Just more relaxing i've been i'm still biking every day just yesterday actually my family we we drove past a bunch of um like mansions near where we live that i had no idea existed they're like let's go down this road and every house was like a three million dollar house with like four car garages and massive amounts of land it was crazy but it was also really cool um just yesterday, I went up to Philly to check out the house that we're going to be in mm-hmm. for school this semester. So got measurements, got got a look at everything because we haven't been there in forever. Um, so I'm excited for that. But otherwise, you know, just chilling. Yeah, just chilling. So why don't we uh, get right into some of our little news for today. So first off... <coughs> Uh, Christopher Nolan's new movie, Tenant, is, you know, one of... It finally got delayed, even though um, previously he was like, oh, I want to keep it in theaters, and he didn't push the release date. Now it's um, releasing July 31st. I think it was originally supposed to come out, like, May, maybe early June. But uh, Hmm. before that, on July 17th, uh, they are re-releasing Inception. So, um, and I've heard, I've actually heard some rumors that Tenant is like a weird sequel to Inception. So, really? and this kind of go goes along with that, but I don't know. Like this movie, like I have no idea what Tenant is about. Even the actors don't know what it's about. Like one of the actors, I forget exactly who it was. Someone asked him if he was playing the villain. He's like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm the villain. I don't really <laughs> know who I am. And like, it seems like nobody really knows what's going on in this movie. So I'm excited, but I'm a little worried that like it's going to be more confusing than the Inception. But I guess it's like um, the Marvel style where the actors don't know if they're even in any scenes when they get like a script with everything blacked out in it. That's kind of funny. Um, funny. That must be really hard to like act though with that if you don't you don't really know, know what's like, happening. Yeah. But hmm. I mean, I'm sure it'll be good. But I mean, just like the one trailer seems pretty good. But, um, yeah, and I remember they right before I saw Star Wars, they showed like a six minute prologue of it. That was. Did you see that? I don't think so. It was in like the scene was inside an opera house type thing where basically these guys came in like invaded and were shooting off like bombs and stuff. I forget exactly what happened, but it was very action packed. Um, and it was kind of surprising to see. It was pretty violent to see right before seeing Star Wars, but um it definitely made me interested in going to see the movie and if all things are good i might go see inception because i've only seen it the one time when we watched it and i liked it a lot and i would love to see inception in theaters i feel like that would be kind of crazy 
Yeah, and it'll yeah, it'll be sense. interesting if like a Nolan movie is the first thing to bring back movie theaters because like there's drive-ins and the the on-demand stuff, but I don't know. We'll see if this like jump starts people going back to the movies again. Yeah, like our movie theaters starting to open. I know like drive-in theaters are starting. Like there's a drive-in theater kind of near. It's like 40 minutes away from me, but it just recently opened. Well, it like opened like a couple weeks ago, but then like the government was like, "No, you can't open yet. Why are you open?" They're like, "What?" I thought we were able to open, and then they closed again. But now they're like officially open. It's like all okay to open. So that's like one theater kind yeah. of thing that's open. AMC's but, uh, trying to get them all open by I think end of July or mid July. Um, and that would line up with this. a lot of money, right? Yeah, they're losing. Uh, they're losing a lot of money. Yeah, hopefully they're they're okay. I hope they don't have to close like a bunch of locations or anything. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, so look forward to that. I'll probably go try to see it if I can. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, and so next on the list, this is I've been seeing uh, several different things about this because we talked about this yesterday. Yeah. Um, when we were on the phone, so it, this month is Pride Month, um, and. Nickelodeon just posted a tweet on Twitter uh, where I forget exactly what it said, but it was talking about like their their characters who are like allies or LGBT characters. I can't remember what, but the picture on it had like Korra from Legend of Korra. What was the other guy's name? Schwaz from Henry Danger. Yeah, and, and then Force. SpongeBob. And they all had like rainbow colors around them and stuff. And so people started saying oh does that mean that spongebob is gay and so now that's kind of a thing online but hmm? nickelodeon just like didn't really explain it like the the tweet says celebrating pride with the lgbtq plus community and their allies this month and every month and so it's rainbow spongebob who everyone says now spongebob is gay schwaz from henry danger who recently um i think like last week announced that he is a trans man so like going from woman to man and cora who i i haven't seen legend of cora but people say she's like she's bisexual i think mm -hmm. but i don't know too much about that but now, i think that's like part of the story from what i've oh. heard that like it's conf that's confirmed that she is but uh so now spongebob is that's basically like a new confirmation that spongebob is gay and then um some people are like oh you're really like confused about this when they made like these episodes and like there's a clip of you know spongebob in like a little ship and he's saying like bye squidward bye mr krabs bye squidward yeah and patrick's like you already you said bye squidward twice and he's like i like squidward so and it's like things like that are like the whole episode when spongebob and patrick had the kid and spongebob was the mother and, yeah, you know. and there's some other thing. I feel like the uh, people always used to joke the I'm ugly and I'm proud, uh, and then Squidward's <laughs> like, so that's what he calls it. Um, <laughs> that was another one. But I also saw, because Nickelodeon didn't like outright say Spongebob's gay now, but didn't explain I saw that Steven Hellenberg, like, for years, would say that he's not gay, he's asexual, so, like, he's just not interested in, like, in anybody, mm. and... So now people are like, do we listen to him or do we, or is this, 
is Nickelodeon saying this, and it just reminds me of the J.K. Rowling stuff, <laughs> where she just comes out and says this character is this. But I have a feeling that even though they like announce this, or if if that's what they're saying, they're probably not going to actually do anything with it in the show. Um, I mean, I I can't tell for sure, and I'm not going to watch know. to find out, but. I don't know, that just kind of just came out of nowhere and yeah. kind of exploded. I don't know. Interesting. But. So uh, next little piece of news, there's a movie that recently came out called The Last Days of American Crime, and it has a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. And I just looked up uh, its page on Rotten Tomatoes. The critic consensus it just says, this crime is punishment. <laughs> uh, I don't really know too much about this movie. I'll just read the description. It says, as a final response to terrorism and crime, the U.S. government plans to broadcast a signal making it impossible for anyone to knowingly commit unlawful acts. So, Graham Brick, a career criminal who was never able to hit the big score, teams up with the famous gangster Prone G, Kevin Cash, and black market hacker Shelby Dupree to commit the heist of the century and the last crime in American history before the signal goes off um so they like want to release a signal that like stops people from committing crime and so they're like, like the winter oh. soldier except that it doesn't kill people yeah and then they're like oh one less heist the so last yeah, crime in america yeah it sounds really generic but i yeah i haven't really looked into it or watched the trailer but i saw a lot of people talking about it it was in the top 10 movies on netflix for like a day or something probably because people saw it and wanted to check out how bad it is but it's two and a half hours long like most bad movies usually barely even make the amount of time that you need to be a movie um but a lot of people were like my review this is a movie like there's really it's so bad like the dialogue's really bad or it's just so boring that it's garnered a zero but I should have looked what other movies are a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. You know um, what else is a terrible movie that I just watched? Uh, what? The Last Airbender. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my God. So I just finished Avatar The Last Airbender, the series. It's very, very good. And I had heard bad things about The Last Airbender movie, the live-action adaptation, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll watch it. Um, so it has a 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the critic consensus, The Last Airbender squanders this popular source material with incomprehensible plotting, horrible acting, and detached, joyless direction. Like, it's not only just a bad adaptation, it's just like a bad movie. Like, there are yeah. these weird cuts. The acting is just awful. Hmm. And, like, and like if you look at it as like an adaptation it is so because like even from like the very first um the first like minute of the movie they do like an opening crawl which is really weird like star wars but like bad and like katara is like narrating over it and it's really like and already they like mispronounce things so instead they say like it's like a weird accent they're like oh ong is the avatar instead of ang and like it like that's it, like a, um when venom came out and it, they were calling it the symbiote instead of symbiote, symbiote. <laughs> oh my god and then like like they don't say Sokka, they say soka 
Uh, they don't say Iro, they say Eero. And it's like it's kind of funny because like it's seems like they're trying to uh, make it sound more like a Chinese sounding name, but then they just like whitewash the whole cast. Yeah, isn't aren't Katara and Sokka white in the movie? <laughs> Katara, Sokka, the entire Water Tribe are white, but uh, strangely, all the villains, like the entire Fire Nation, are Indian. Huh. Which I thought was very weird, and. There, there are just so many things wrong with this movie, um, but I highly recommend it to any <laughs> fan of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender because it's just, like, it's, like, so bad, but, like, it's, like, you can laugh at it and, like, make fun of it. Yeah, it did make I, you kind of mad, but, like, looking back, it was kind of entertaining to watch. Yeah, um, I, I just started the series, and I'm enjoying it so far. I'm only a few episodes in, though, but even just seeing a couple clips, I can already tell that it's going to be absolutely nothing like the show, but I do want to watch it just because back on that, back when we had Rose on here in front of the pod talking about bad movies, I talked about how part of that movie was filmed right near where I used to live. Oh, so like yeah. in a quarry where I used to live that my mom like peered over and saw the set. Um, So I kind of want to watch it just to see those scenes to be like, Hey, that was near where I lived. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, I, that does sound terrible, but I do remember when it came out, um, like it immediately, everybody hated it. Um, but yeah, I'll probably, aren't people saying that, um, I saw, I guess in the show right before the finale of the show, there's a, yes. a play, um, that's, that goes on that tells the entire story of the show, but terribly, mm-hmm. And so, so it's like, like a satire of the show, like the uh, like they're in the Fire Nation and they see that they're putting on a play about like their journey, like the Avatar and his friends, and they go watch it and it's like very like poorly acted. Like Aang is played by a girl. Um, there's another character you haven't met yet named Toph. She's played by a man, and just like everybody is just like a like a poor caricature of their actual character, and some people say that apparently this last airbender movie is based on that play because it's so bad which is you know it's not true but like it's just funny to think about like that bad play spawned this terrible movie Hmm. and uh, i'm hoping they announced um i think like back in 2018 they're going to make a live action avatar adaptation series for netflix but um with the original creators of the show Ooh. as executive producers so people are, are hoping that it's gonna be good and they said they like started casting and they're looking for like a 12 to 14 year old asian boy to play ang so it's like okay like they're not gonna whitewash the cast they're gonna like do it justice so i'm excited for that but i've i don't really know anything about it yeah um yeah i at first when i first started watching the show i wasn't massively hooked but now that i'm a few episodes in and they're actually like stuff's happening i'm liking it more um but all i ever hear people talk about is the secret tunnel song and i gotta ask when does that happen (laughs) um i don't think i think it's in book two so you're not gonna see it for a bit but it is just (laughs) it's it's pretty great yeah um, something to look forward to yeah i'm looking forward to the show to, to pick up even more and me to finally get all the references that my friends are talking about this is what it feels like when christian and i would talk about community around our friends who hadn't watched it and they would be confused because now that's me (laughs) um 
But yeah, so I'm looking forward to finishing that. But next, um, new Bill and Ted movie coming out called Bill and Ted Face the Music, and the trailer for it dropped. Have you ever seen a Bill and Ted movie? I have not. I have I watched either. a little bit of the new trailer, and I liked it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I probably would like it more if I saw the original. But I've heard very good things about it, and I may check it out one day. Yeah, I feel like it's the type of movie that's like right on my alley of like dumb humor that i still somehow love um because i know like their time machine is a phone booth but not like doctor who it's like a shitty phone booth um and they go back in time there's all these like caricatures of historical figures so i feel like that's something i'd really enjoy but this new one is about them like having to write a song that will unite humanity or something um but it's i forget how many years later but the actors are like much older and the one looks pretty much exactly the same as he was when they did the first one but keanu reeves (laughs) he i mean he looks good for everyone always 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 like keanu doesn't age but he looks very good but he shaved his beard off for this movie and now you can tell that he's aged because the long hair with like him at that age and no beard just does not look quite right um but yeah but I'll probably I might try to watch the original two and then see the new one when it comes out. I also still have to watch like John Wick and stuff. Oh and speaking gosh. of Keanu, they're taking the Matrix movies off Netflix, so I gotta watch them before they're gone. When, um, did, when are they wa- uh, taking them off? They might have already, but if not yet, then I think maybe the end of the month. Ooh, they're all yeah, a lot of stuff's uh, Mad Mad. I almost said Mad Max. Mad, Mad Men's also leaving Netflix. That's so sad. It's already gone. Oh yeah, okay. Um, I wanted to rewatch it, but now I can't. There's a couple other things leaving. I think like Infinity War is leaving because Disney Plus is getting yeah. it. Um, there were a couple other big. Th- I think the the Tremors movies, like those B movie, like Earthquake movies, are leaving. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, so sad, but. Um, yeah, I'll definitely check out Bill and Ted probably when the new one comes out. Yeah. So, uh, some good news for marvel fans um the sequel to spider-man into the spider-verse has officially started production yeah. which is very exciting uh we don't really know anything about the movie yet but it's gonna come out sometime i don't know when but uh i think 2022 2022 okay but they have officially started production so you know we're gonna get that ball rolling and i'm very excited for that because obviously spider-verse was a fantastic movie didn't it win Best Animated Picture at the it Oscars? Did. It did. Th- yeah, the Golden Globes and the Oscars it won both, I believe. And yeah. it's one of my favorite animated movies now, so I can't wait for the oh, second yeah. one. I'm wondering what they would do. Um, maybe I'm thinking maybe they'll bring back uh, Spider-Man 2099, who was in the post-credits scene of the first yes. one with Oscar Isaac. Um, mm-hmm. I would like to see some crossover, bringing in Toby, bringing in Andrew, bringing in Tom. The live so action cool. spider-man and i think that's something that they said like might happen or that some of the actors are open to i can't remember but that would be insane even if they're an animated form to see them come in on screen in this movie um oh, that would be so cool people would like literally die <laughs> it would be amazing but um yeah otherwise i'm not i hope to see i liked what they did with the villains in that making them like the villains that you know but different like how doc mm-hmm. ock uh was a woman and had like the like the plasticky tentacles and mm-hmm. green goblin being enormous 
So I hope they do something similar with that and bring in even more new spider people. Yes. Very yeah. exciting. Very exciting. And then finally, last bit of little news. Um, a bunch of movies have been moving around their release dates. Obviously, we just talked about Tenet, uh, which has been pushed to the end of July. And now Wonder Woman 1984, which I think was going to come out this summer, is being pushed to October. And uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, which is supposed to come out, I think, already, is going to come out next year now. And uh, a lot of these movies just were saying, coming soon, we don't know yet uh, yeah. when. And now a lot of them are officially getting dates, which we'll see if they change. But And then I think the James Bond, uh, No Time to Die, got pushed up a few days in the U.S. It's still coming out in November, but it's a little like earlier November now. 12th? Um, hmm? Maybe November 20th? Maybe. I okay, don't remember the exact date. But now a bunch of movies are coming out near my birthday. <laughs> so this will be great. Um, so today's main topic, we've talked about movies and TV and music, but we haven't talked about music <laughs> in movies and TV. Right. You are. Let's just, uh, squish those two things together. Yeah. Today we're going to talk a little bit about some famous composers, uh, the big people like who do music for a lot of these movies shows, um, especially like stuff that we like um we don't have to go in order on this list by the way i have a list of a bunch of yeah um like musicians composers um but i guess just to start off i always find it interesting that there's really uh, not a big like five but i feel like under 10 composers who are used for like every movie like yeah <laughs> any any big movie it's not going to be a no-name person doing the music. It's always going to be, like, a John Williams or Michael G. I never know how to say his name. Michael Giacchino, um, or like Alan Silvestri. They're, uh, they're always pumping out music and always pumping out like really different music, which is interesting. Like there are times yeah. where I won't know that it's a certain composer. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you What do you think? Um. Yeah, I think, like, one of the most impressive things about, you know, uh, scoring for movies or TV shows is that, um, you know, in popular music that you hear on, like, the radio, you you have, like, the the instruments and all that and the vocals and the lyrics to sort of, you know, convey your message or emotion. But then in film, you have to, you know, you have, like, so much going on already and you need to, like have the music set the mood and so sometimes there's going to be dialogue like um i'm trying to think of an example i don't know like uh jeff yeah like like a jeff winger speech at the end of community you know you have that <laughs> inspiring kind of music or it could be a fight scene with no dialogue like in avengers well i'll do like the the portal scene from uh endgame you know there's a huge battle going on but and so you gotta have a really exciting epic music then you have to sometimes there's, there's no dialogue like maybe binary sunset from uh star wars a new hope where all luke is doing is just walking out of his house and looking at the sunset but there's just like you know all you can feel the emotion and like it's like fear but also hope and also hesitation there's like so much emotion just yeah. in that little music and it sort of like helps um paint the picture that the movie is trying to convey 
just from music. So I think that's a really impressive thing. And like, you know, um, I think it's also impressive that whereas on the radio you can sort of like hum along to the melody or like sing the words, sometimes like the music in movies is so good you can just sort of hum like there like there are no lyrics or singing or anything. Like everybody knows like the Avengers theme or maybe or like the Star Wars theme, like they're so iconic, yeah, that you can just sort of like hum it, and like there are no lyrics or anything. I just think that's really cool. Yeah, and I've it's always been interesting to me, and I still don't really know the answer of what the process is for writing music for a movie, especially if like the movie's not done. Um, one interesting thing I remember hearing about a while ago is that a lot of times directors will use temp music when they're yes editing so they'll use music from another movie or like stock music uh in place of a scene to get an idea of what they want it to sound like but the interesting thing is that a lot of times they'll just ask the composer to make the music sound like the temp music mm-hmm. and studios have gotten in trouble for it i think <laughs> I forget what movie it was done on, but there was a movie where they used music from 300 or it was 300 using music from another movie that they sounded so similar. They used that music for temp music and the music in the actual movie sounded so similar that they got sued for it for. I remember hearing about that. I don't remember exactly like what it was, but I forget the details though, but like how does it interests me to just to see how like the director is like, all right, I want this to sound like this but maybe like the scene isn't even finished filming or the editing isn't down yet. And then the composer's like, all right, let me whip up this in like 24 piece uh, soundtrack. Um, Like it's crazy. I don't know. And then adding in like motifs and stuff for different characters and all that. It's definitely an interesting like phenomenon. Yeah. And sometimes there's like not really much going on that you can go off of when you're composing music like um i don't know let's bring up star wars again like you know like george lucas went to john williams and he was probably like all right so lucas is gonna like walk over and just like look at the sunset so do some crazy music for that or like yeah. um uh what else like i don't know the end of inception spoiler spoiler it's been a while yeah, I'll, I'll, it, I'll, yeah. spoiler. it's fine so like you have the it's just like, oh, yeah, there's a top spinning, and it's the end of the movie. So you're going to zoom in on the top, and it's still spinning. Make music for that. So it's like, I mean, you have, like, character motivations and maybe some, like, context of the movie. But if it's, like, early on in production, it's probably, like, here's, like, a description of the scene. Make music out of it. And maybe you're not even going to, like, see it yet. So you don't know exactly what it's going to look like mm-hmm. when you finish composing. So I think... That's another thing impressive about these composers. They can just sort of, like, make music without really having too much to, like, reference, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought it was – I think that's very cool. It's it's a testament to their talent as musicians. Like, that's – yeah, that's always something that's really interested me. Um, And I just thought of this. So we think of all these – really iconic themes and music for movies like now everybody knows the avengers theme but for a while like nobody knew that because a lot of the music like in the early marvel movies and stuff that you'd see in like action movies all have really similar sounding music like i'm talking like the yeah yeah like bass thing and the the string just kind of like like 
I can't exactly put it into words. Um, no, no, I get what you're saying. I had, like, watched a video about this, like, a while back. But, like, something wrong with, like, a lot of those, like, early action movies is, like, the music didn't take risks. Like, if mm-hmm. it was, like, an action-filled scene, you would have this kind of music. If it was, like, a sad scene, you would have this kind of music. If it was, like, you know, if they were in love, you would do, like, a s- certain thing. But, like, you can, like, take – music should, like – take risks and you know do something different that would make it more memorable like um oh, i'm trying to think of something uh like uh, i guess for an example if there's like a fight scene and it's like really action-packed but maybe in like the context of the movie like the heroes are failing so do like less action-packed fight music and more like depressing music i guess i don't know order yeah. 66 comes to mind yeah. like, it's like a battle scene but it's like really like sad music because yeah like it's a big battle scene it's a lot of things going on but also the context of the story like the heroes are like the clones turn on their jedi and the jedi like are they're all dying so all the all the heroes are falling and then you see like yoda like you know like he kneels down and he just like feels all the pain and he's hurting so it's just like really like sad music even though there's like a lot going on so but like a lot of early action movies they just like kind of stick to what um what like an action scene should sound like and that could also be a fault like you mentioned with the temp music like they play the temp music for the scene then the directors just like get so used to it they're like oh just do something like that and then it it, everything sort of just sounds the same yeah and yeah one of my favorite things about a a movie score is when there's a theme that you get used to in like the movie or show whatever you're watching and then they like change it based on what's happening like a good example is in revenge of the sith battle of the heroes which is when um obi-wan and anakin are fighting on mustafar Mm -hmm. and i think there's a part of that song where they play like the force theme um like the one like the binary sunset um and it's sounds more sinister and it sounds more like depressing because you're like seeing a hero fall or um not quite as a big jump but monsters inc i love that (laughs) intro song like the jazzy number yeah and then at the end of the movie they have mike and sully uh sing a version of that song but it's slowed down and it's more chill and Mm. you don't even always like notice but like just changing the the i guess like the situation or the circumstances that a song is in like um the new spider-man movies i really like that theme of like the bounciness of it so when spider-man's just like walking around at school or like swinging around it's more like light and fun when he's in a a battle scene they play the same music but it's much more intense um yeah another thing that comes to mind when you say that i think of ant-man like the ant-man theme is yes pretty simple but like you know, like if he's like a fight scene, they do like more intense. But um, if he's like sneaking around, because like there's a lot of like heisting and amen, it's like the little like doop, 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 doop. it's like very like quiet, like staccato strings and all that. And then they'll so blast it open when he's fighting someone. Exactly. Like, big breath. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's well, a like I like that when they perfect take, like, example. Like a theme, like a character theme or a movie theme, and they sort of use it, but they change it based on the situation because like music can like set the mood and another thing that i like 
like you said, like Monsters Inc. How it like sort of goes back to that, or in Battle of the Heroes, you hear a little bit of a force theme. I like like musical callbacks. Yep. Where like you hear like a character theme. Like I think Star Wars is a great example because like most like all these characters have different themes. Like Luke's theme is sort of like the force theme. Malaya has her own theme. Uh, Ray has a theme. Kylo Ren has a theme. And um. Like whenever Kylo Ren walks in a room, you hear like the da 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 da, and um, I think at towards the end of like Rise of Skywalker when he like sort of went back to being Ben Solo, you could hear that music, but it was more like heroic and a little more sad, which I thought was interesting. So it's like kind of calling mm-hmm. back to that music, or like um, the the portal scene from Endgame. I think is a great scene because it's sort of like this it keeps building up um it's like sounds really cool and then it like as it's going through all the heroes it starts to swell up until Captain America finally says Avengers assemble then it turn blasts turns into the Avengers theme yes and it's sure. it's just like things like that and oh I love it and sometimes the I have one more example of that in Phantom Menace the end of the movie there's that weird like Gungan band playing this weird oh, song. That's a, that's a fantastic. Um, movie. and fantastic. one of the last shots of the movie, or at least they show Palpatine, who at this point you're not supposed to know is the bad guy. And that song that they're playing is a really high, peppy, fun song. But if you look at the actual music, you can see that the notes are the same notes as the Emperor's theme that is used in like Return of the Jedi. Yes. Um. So like little hints of stuff like that, I love um and there's stuff like that in other movies too that i just can't think of right yeah, now but, that, but i think that's a fantastic example like um it's like a callback to return of the jedi but it's like it's super happy and sort of disguised but if you like listen closely like oh it's the emperor's theme and it's mm-hmm. sort of like hints towards the characters and their motivations even though like we all know that palpatine is the emperor but like the the, uh, the characters don't know but then it's like sort of a subtle hint like Hey, audience, remember, this guy is the Emperor, but nobody knows that yet because it's, like, in disguise. And I think that's, yeah. really, that's one and good thing about the Phantom Menace. I actually kind of like Phantom Menace. Like, okay. it's not that bad. But anyway, um, and I know we haven't really talked about any composers yet, but I have another thing. I remember seeing a video. Do you know the YouTube channel Sideways? No. Uh, he does a lot of really great videos about music and film like there's one that he talks about why the the disney live action music doesn't really work um there's one where he talks about why he thinks the rise of skywalker music is like underwhelming but there's one video where he talks about the dse ray which is like this really old song i can't remember and it's really it's pretty long too but there's these four notes that people always like that's the notes that people know from that and it's supposed to be a song about like death destruction or like Mm -hmm. foreboding stuff uh and it's like da 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 or like mm-hmm. something similar to that and that's used in so many movies like things that are taken from the past and put into these things for emotion like in binary sunset or right before it the scene where you see like luke's un- aunt and uncle like mm-hmm. dead they yes. play the force theme and then you hear like those four notes because it's like there's been like destruction here um they use it in sweeney todd a lot which is a show that's all about death uh and um if you know those like musical cues you can kind of learn about like what's coming and have you seen frozen 2 yet 
No, I am not. All right, I won't, I won't spoil anything then. But that's used... It's used in that movie, too, in a fun mm. way. But um, anyway, do you have anyone that you want to talk about, like, specifically first? Um, I mean, I think when you talk about composers for movies and television, you, like, kind of have to mention John Williams oh, with yeah. all his achievements because, you know, he did, he's done every single Star Wars movie. I mean, he like, he wrote, like, one thing for Solo, but he did, like, you know, the main Skywalker saga – uh, he did Jurassic Park. He did Jaws. E.T. E.T. Indiana Jones. Like so many iconic Home Alone. themes. Home Alone. There's, there's, like, so yeah, many... there's Harry Potter too. Oh my God, there's so did many. He do Harry Potter. Yeah, he did Harry Potter. Wow. See, just like so many iconic themes come from this one guy. So I think that's sort of like a testament to his talent. Mm-hmm. And I think that like I think he's a great composer and he's you know really good at making these sort of iconic like you associate his music with characters like you the force theme you think of luke um indiana jones you know indiana jones or you hear like the the sort of creepy and sort of mysterious harry potter theme you think it's superman too also superman that. yeah like superman like he has this iconic superhero theme song like that and i think that's sort of yeah i think john Williams is really good at um like whimsical adventurous sounding stuff like that's his stuff like i feel like you can listen to a piece of music and know that that's john williams Mm -hmm. um and yeah it's i it's always insane because you always think i think the big ones are like star wars jurassic park um indiana jones but i always forget that he's done harry potter he's done all these others that are just so iconic i think the majority of iconic themes are him um Mm -hmm. he did um Oh my god, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Have you ever seen that? I have not. Um, maybe that's not it's Close Encounters of something. Maybe not the Third Kind, no, but I think, I think that's it. Yeah, it's the movie about like these aliens coming to Earth. Um, and the theme is like the da 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 da, like iconic. And he's done that like pretty much every movie theme from the last like 30, 40 years that are like ingrained in pop culture are from him. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And uh one of the interesting things I guess, like you said he did a little bit for solo. He and some other composers also do a lot of stuff like outside of movies. Um like when Disney put Star Wars in their park and they uh made Star Tours, John Williams did the entire sound or music for that, original music for that. Um when they made an E. T. ride at Universal, he wrote an original piece for that. Like there he seems like he's very committed to like he is the music for all of these different franchises um except for the new star wars that are not the main (laughs) films but um yeah they seem like very dedicated especially him seems like really dedicated to like what he's doing and like yeah like if you think of star wars music it's like oh that's john williams like john williams even though like he's not doing like as much of like the spin-off movies like he did one thing for solo i don't know if he did anything for rogue one I'm i don't think he did sure. but like even though like he, when you think star wars you think of john williams with the music mm-hmm. yeah so he didn't do he, clone wars did he i don't i don't know but even even the music was based off of what he did yeah. <laughs> even if it wasn't him um, um yeah yeah no it was not uh 
<laughs> I looked up Clone Wars music composer. Uh, Kevin Kleiner, I think, is the main composer. But also, you see here are Ahmed Best, Tom Kenny, and Tim Curry as music composers. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> Not sound right, but whatever. Um, um, so this is not i guess it's technically a composer but this is a little different i want to talk about alan menken because i think he might be one of my favorite music people in film um you know him he's written the music for your entire childhood if you're our age um you know he's written the music for aladdin beauty and the beast little mermaid hercules hunchback of notre dame tangled enchanted um the the majority of the disney movies of the 90s and even like now he did the music for mm-hmm. um and he did newsy like he's done broadway stuff too which i mean that was a movie at first but um he doesn't write the lyrics but just like the the music that he's oh, this is hard to explain um <laughs> like there's like the music that he does is like iconic on its own it's iconic on its own it's and the funny thing is i can sometimes tell listening to something if it's him but i feel like his stuff is able to be wildly different between movies like mm-hmm. little mermaid doesn't sound like beauty and the beast doesn't sound like aladdin yeah but you can also kind of tell that they're all him he's like that he he's a certain style but he can also like do wildly different things yes he's just got like the I guess like the fairy tale sound down, but it's more than that, and it's really hard for me to to pin down. But um, I also really love him because he wrote the music for Galavant, which I just started watching again. Mm-hmm. Which he's able to like parody himself almost because that show is a parody of like fairy tale, mm-hmm. medieval type stuff, and the music still is fantastic and is reminiscent of Disney stuff while also being its own thing, and. Mm-hmm parodying other you know like broadway music or other genres of music um and he's another person who will just write songs for other movies and other things even if he's not doing the music for all of them like uh do you ever watch the neighbors i did not so this was a show on abc like early 2010s about a family moving into a neighborhood that is filled with aliens who are pretending to be humans so they're all like kind of a little off and they're all named after famous sports players. So like the main alien dad is Larry Bird and he's married to Jackie <laughs> Joyner Kersey and their sons are like uh Dick Buttkiss and someone else. Um but uh it was like the show was fine, but there's an episode where they go to New York to see a Broadway show and they love it and they feel like they haven't seen enough of the world and that the stuff like in Broadway is what the real world would be like. And so they do a musical number about the things that you might or might not see on Broadway. And it's all things like getting a haircut or like going to the DMV, but they make it into this fantastic Broadway number with like dance and everything. And the song written by Alan Menken just for this show, one song mm-hmm. and it got nominated for an Emmy. Like, um, not i mean it's abc so it's technically disney but it's not like your typical disney movie but he pulled out all the stops made it like your typical it reminded me of it reminds me of johnny sebastian's like opening opening oh, uh, theater number <laughs> it reminds me of that it's a great song um and 
like he wrote the opening number for sausage party that little oh song God. in that movie and like but, that that movie is just so like wild and like like you know alan Mencken does like a bunch of disney stuff but like this is like anti disney this is like the opposite of anything disney it's just yeah. so like raunchy and all that but then they have like a really fun sounding opening number mm-hmm. talking about the like their dreams and motivations and like how they want to go to the um uh the great beyond the great beyond that's what it's called yeah and he, but, um, he also did the uh the slaughter race song in wreck it ralph 2 oh really um, that's yes a, that's like her that's uh vanellope's like her princess song about she has to like sing about her problems to become a true disney princess and it's kind of funny that like he wrote it because like he loves so much disney stuff yeah and like so he's the like the master of disney music but he's also even when he's making fun of himself it's still perfect um and i i feel like he's the master of the opening number like i think of the beauty and the beast opening arabian nights any of these like broadway sounding numbers Hmm? even sausage party even sausage party like i don't know he's one of my favorites and it's hard for me to explain why but like just listening to his music like it feels magical One guy I want to talk about is uh, Ludwig Garrison. Um, for in terms of movies, he did the score for uh, Creed and Black Panther. Um, but I mostly know him from Community. And he did a lot of the uh, the background music there, and I think Community has some really great music. Um, did he also do the the actual songs? I feel like maybe I think he a couple of the actual songs. Yeah, like. Um, like all the songs from the Christmas episode, you know, like Baby Boomer Santa, uh, <laughs> the Santa rap, teach me how to understand Christmas, all that. I, I mean, I would assume that he probably did all that music. Um, so that's you know really good music. But something I find really interesting is that he frequently collaborates with Childish Gambino, who, uh, aka Donald Glover, who I think they met on Community. Huh. I'm not entirely sure, but um like ludwig uh did a lot of work for because the internet and he did a lot of work on um uh awaken my love like i think he's sort of donald glover's like producer friend like what hello oh my god can you you can't hear me no No. (laughs) now i can now i can you cut out again though okay um oh where can i start from um they met on community the man community three two one and i think they met on community i'm not entirely sure but um i remember seeing a video from genius you know like that website that does all the like lyric breakdown and all that yeah i've been made fun of for using it by people (laughs) (laughs) i love that site (laughs) yeah no i use it sometimes but they did like um genius breakdown and they break down uh redbone with and they were doing it with ludwig so he was sort of showing like all the synths like all the vintage synths and guitars that he had and he was sort of like making the song so that's sort of like a cool side to music i think that you know if an artist releases it's like you know like redbone by Childish gambino but like there are all these people behind the scenes that are helping like you know um ludwig did like a lot of that music or like other producers like I don't know Metro Boomin or some other hip hop producers. Mm-hmm. Like they do a lot. They like put in a lot of work, and it's mostly like them doing the, 
song and like you think like oh this artist or like this rapper did the song but like really like they rapped over it maybe helped a little bit with the music but i feel like the producers maybe don't get as much love as they should like they had a little tagline at the beginning yeah. of the song but i feel like that's like that's another thing sort of similar to composers they just sort of like they just like make this beat and they're like hey do you like this and then they're like yeah and then the rapper like raps over it but they can just sort of like make something out of nothing like what do you think of this let's just do this for something and then so i think that's another pretty cool thing but yeah ludwig great guy so we're having some tech issues so we're gonna wrap up a little earlier than usual but before we do i also just saw something and i forgot back with alan menken so alan Silvestri did the, the soundtrack for captain america first avenger which i actually really like that soundtrack but mm-hmm. the uh the star-spangled man with a plan one of my favorite mcu moments <laughs> written by alan menken like another wow. example of him like inserting himself into other movies that, that aren't disney funny. but i didn't know that um but yeah so just because of the things going on we're gonna cut it short but i think we could easily do another episode about this there's Probably. so much to talk about yeah. we didn't even really hit that many composers or anything but um thank you guys for listening um follow us on instagram at wc in the morning anything from you christian um sorry about the technical difficulties my wife can't escape so annoying lately but um yeah thank you for listening everybody and we will see you in the next one bye bye